Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, last December, amid news of effective vaccines and a new administration, Atlantic science writer Ed Yong tweeted that he was gently hopeful that in 2021, he'd get to celebrate his 40th birthday in person with a few dozen friends. But with the highly transmissible Omicron variant, he recently canceled his birthday celebration. We'll talk to Young about how he's making risk management decisions and what we're learning about Omicron, now the dominant variant in the U.S. We'll also preview President Biden's speech today on COVID. Forum is next. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Omicron is now the dominant variant in the U.S., accounting for 73% of new COVID cases last week, compared with just over 12% of cases the week before. Also, President Biden will address the nation today on his administration's efforts to contain the damage from this highly transmissible variant. For more on these and other COVID developments, we're joined by Atlantic science writer Ed Young, whose latest piece is I Canceled My Birthday Party Because of Omicron. Ed Young, welcome back to Forum. Hi, thanks for having me again. Glad to have you. And I want to ask you about your last piece. First, happy 40th birthday. I mean, 40's a big one. I know, right? It would be. It would have been nice to be able to get together with a bunch of friends to celebrate, as I was reasonably hopeful um, about being able to do um, this time last year. But alas, it wasn't meant to be. Um, you know, I think look, n- n- none of your listeners need to care about my 40th birthday party. The, the reason I put that piece up is to talk through um, my thinking um, based on everything I know about the new variant, everything I've learned in my reporting, how do I translate all those kind of big picture ideas into um, an actual real life decision in in my own life? And yes. you know, my hope was by walking through um, that decision making, it would help people who are also struggling with similar decisions now that the holidays are rapidly approaching. Absolutely, so many of us are facing similar questions, asking ourselves similar questions like, should I go to? the New Year's party or that basketball game. So so do tell us, how did you make your decision? Yeah, so I think that as, as I wrote in this piece and, and another one about Omicron, the, the, real, the trick here is to understand that risk at an individual level and at a societal level um, it are very th- those two levels are very different now um, to an extent they've always been in the pandemic but they're especially different now and that is going to be the hardest part of the Omicron challenge so you know let, let's take my situation I am um, I 
not only vaccinated, but also boosted. Um, I know that, um, like everyone, my um, protection against infection is lower now than it was a few months ago before Omicron started spreading. But I also know that um, those protections after a booster are reasonable. Um, as a very, very rough way of thinking about it, you can sort of assume that two, uh, three shots against Omicron is sort of equivalent to two shots against Delta. So, you know, with the booster, um, I'm roughly as protected against this new variant as I was against the old variant in the summer, maybe a little less. But, um, and that's just against infection, against severe disease, against death. Um, I would expect to be in an even much better position. Um, we know that Omicron has eaten away at some of those immune defenses. We know that um, antibodies in, in vaccinated people have a much tougher time neutralizing this new variant. But the rest of the immune system, which takes a little more time to mobilize, should still be pretty effective. I, so I would expect um, if I caught Omicron to, you know, have probably a rough time of it. I, you know, I, I would expect something like a bad um, like case of flu or a bad cold. But I, would, I think I would be fine. And I would expect the same to be true of um, almost all of my friends who are all vaccinated and who, to my knowledge, mo um, are, are almost all boosted. You know, our individual risk is still manageable. So why cancel the party? Um, and the reason is that societally, we're in a much worse shape. Um, so Omicron is spreading really rapidly. This thing can really move even more so than Delta, which was already you know, something we described as super transmissible. Just look at how quickly it has risen to dominance um, in the US, you know, the UK, South Africa, elsewhere. It is incredibly fast. And and extreme transmissibility is one of the most worrying characteristics we have because this huge wave of cases, even if those cases move through um, highly immunized populations that have some protection against severe illness, that's still going to send enough of them um, to hospitals um, to further stress our healthcare system. And I think the most important piece of this is knowing that our healthcare system really can't take any more. I'm going to be brief here, but I think we should talk about this more, that like, it has been stretched beyond its capacity for the last two years. And it was already being severely tested by a Delta surge. It really can't take much more punishment. So ultimately, this is a choice about we putting we above me. This is a case of not just saying, what is my risk, but also asking, what is my contribution to everyone else's risk? If I throw a party, I'll probably be fine. My guests will probably be fine. But especially because said party would be a week before Christmas, those guests would probably go and see their families and might well carry the virus to them. At, at, the, at best, um, if they test positive, it could ruin their plans and force them to into a lonely and, and isolated holiday period. And at worst, they could infect vulnerable people who they know, um, grandparents, parents, immunocompromised people, people who don't know me at all and who had no say about the decision I made that then put them at risk. And I think it's that kind of collective thinking about people 
several steps removed from ourselves that we really need to prioritize. We've always needed to prioritize, prioritize it, really. But the fact that Omicron spreads so quickly and the fact that our healthcare system is in such a devastated state put, makes it even more urgent that we really start to think for the collective good. We're talking with Atlantic science writer Ed Young, and you, our listeners, are welcome to join the conversation. Curious if Omicron has changed your plans in the way that it changed Ed's decision to have his 40th birthday celebration. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or reach us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You're talking about how stretched our healthcare system is. And I think it's always really effective to understand the experiences of the people who are in it. And I know that you have spoken with literally hundreds of nurses and doctors in the last two years. What state are they in as they face Omicron? What have those conversations, those recent conversations been like, Ed? No, really tough. Um, they, it is really hard, and I will try to describe how stretched they are, uh, how close to breaking point they are. Um, you know, droves of healthcare workers have already left not just uh, their jobs, and some have left medicine entirely. Um, and there are many reasons for that. You know, we have subjected them to two years of intense trauma. Um, COVID is really hard to treat. So when surges happen and hospitals already have very little capacity to spare, um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and to see just death on a scale that many healthcare workers um, have just never seen before. Um, not only is it then hard to treat those patients, but, you know, it's hard because, you um, I think a lot of healthcare workers feel a bit betrayed by their institutions. They feel ill, inadequately supported by their hospitals. They don't. A lot of them still struggle to have enough PPE to get time off to deal with the traumas they've seen. A lot of patients are becoming increasingly belligerent um, and you know difficult to help as the um, uh, you know as misinformation about this virus. Um, continues to take a stranglehold on the country. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think the mistake that we make is is in treating every surge as if it was independent. You know, people are saying right now, is Omicron going to overwhelm the healthcare system? The system is already overwhelmed and has been for some time. Even if um, they're not, even if people aren't treating a surge of COVID patients, once that surge lifts, they then have to do all the catch-up care for the people who deferred their treatments because of COVID and are now coming in way sicker than before. It would be foolish for anyone here to think that healthcare workers have had a break over the last two years mm. because many of them haven't. And that, you know, their exhaustion, the, the difficulty in caring for their patients, all of that has made them, um, uh, you know, all of that has meant that a lot of them have just said enough like they're not quitting because they can't handle their jobs. They're quitting because they can't handle being unable to do their jobs. And because they've quit, the situation is so much worse for those who are left behind, um, who have an even tougher time than they had previously. Right. It, what you're also touching on is the fact that um, people are thinking about, well, I won't likely go to the hospital for COVID if I vaccinated or I'm extra careful. But... I was struck by how 
you were talking about going to the hospital for other reasons and ways that you've changed your behavior to avoid going to the hospital. For, for example, you try to drive more carefully. I am driving more carefully. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that might shock some listeners, right? I think like some people think, well, that's ridiculous. Like, why, why? That, that seems like an overreaction. It feels almost to me like an underreaction based on everything I've heard from our healthcare workers and the stories that I think a lot of aren't filtering out to a lot of people. Like, the system full stop is strained. It's not just the COVID wards, it's everything else. Um, and, you know, the fact that ICUs overflow means that ERs overflow, means that hospital corridors start overflowing, which means that no one can give adequate care for anything, let alone COVID. We're already hearing tales of people go- trying to get emergency care for all kinds of things, for accidents, for, um, you know, heart attacks, and just waiting for hours to get even um, you know, the, the bare minimum of medical care. I, I'm not trying to stoke fear. I'm not trying to exaggerate here, but this is where we've got to because of two years of honestly selfishness and, and political mismanagement. Um, one doctor in um, a Nebraska hospital, which I would have argued was the best prepared of any hospital in the country for a new emerging epidemic told me that the level of medical care that Americans have come to expect from their healthcare system does not exist anymore. Hmm. And that's really, really both hard to un- like grapple with and, you know, makes me incredibly worried about what's going to happen in this next surge. We'll talk more with Atlantic science writer Ed Young after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This hour, we're talking with Atlantic science writer Ed Young about the latest on the Omicron variant and his recent articles, including I canceled my birthday party because of Omicron. We're talking about making decisions to manage risk and also about the latest Omicron developments. And we will preview President Biden's planned address today as well. You can join the conversation with your questions about Omicron or if you want to share how Omicron has changed your holiday plans or if you have questions about that, 866-733-6786 is the number. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. 
Paul writes, to me, the biggest reason for limiting travel and taking every possible precaution is that even though cases due to Omicron may be, quote, mild, as long as the virus is being transmitted from person to person, it allows it the opportunity to further mutate, perhaps into far more deadly variant. Your reaction to Paul's comment before we dive into some of the latest that we're learning about Omicron is it feels like data are emerging every day. Um. Yeah, I, I think um, I and others were warning, um, you know, since I don't know, last year, certainly in the summer, that um, the more we allow the pandemic to rage out of control, the more transmission exists, um, the more chances the virus has to turn into something new. You know, Omicron substantiates that fear, um, and the, the risk of that still continues. Um, I want to push a little against the conception that Omicron is milder, because I know that that has taken hold and a lot of people, you know, already believe it as as fact. But I think there are many reasons to be sceptical about it. The, the most important is that it may not actually be milder. So, so far, it, um, uh, it has uh, largely infected um, in places like the UK and South Africa, younger people who naturally have less severe infections. Um, and it has also affected largely um, uh, populations either that, sorry, let me say that again. It has, again, mostly infected populations that either because they've been heavily vaccinated or they've been heavily hit by past epidemic waves um, that have some prior degree of prior immunity. And again, they should be expected to have less severe um, uh, illness. So, it may just be that Omicron has so far mercifully affected the most protected populations and that we're going to see no actual difference in its um, capacity to cause severe illness once it starts moving into more vulnerable populations, unvaccinated people, elderly people, immunocompromised people. Um, I think we should not... um, at the moment, assume that it is in fact milder than other variants. Mm. Um, other reasons to be sceptical of that, as I've said, transmissibility is the problem here. Even if Omicron actually is milder than, say, Delta, its transmissibility advantage overrides that that um, boon. Um, just because of how quickly the virus is spreading, even if a lower proportion of cases lead to severe illness, the absolute number of numbers of such illnesses will probably be higher just by dint of the sheer number of extra infections. Um, and finally, mild infections throughout the pandemic have been able to lead to long COVID, months and months of debilitating and relentless symptoms that have cost people their, um, their jobs, their mental health, and sometimes even their lives. It is... Um, it is just nonsense to say that mild infections have no consequence. I mean, there are, there are bad outcomes that aren't just hospitalization and death, and that we are still inadequately thinking about when considering the risks of this virus. I think that's so. a great explanation of why not to think of it as milder, to use that word. I do want to ask you about some of the behaviors that have been observed and described in in separate studies out of the UK and Hong Kong, which suggest that the Omicron variant doesn't attach very well to the lungs. Have you seen some of these studies and, and what do you make of them? 
I, I know what you mean. So there was one Hong Kong study, for example. Um, uh, I'm going, I might mess up the specifics of this, but basically that the virus um, has an easier time um, replicating in the upper airways, which might explain why it's more transmissible, and a slightly harder time replicating in the lungs. Um, now, this has been commonly billed as a sign that maybe it's less severe. But if you actually look at those that study, what it says is that Delta had a harder time replicating in the lungs than the original virus, and that Omicron has an even harder time doing so than Delta. Now, if, you're, if you extend that logic, then surely Delta should have been less severe than the original virus, and it very much was not. In some, you know, in some some studies suggest that it might even have been more severe than the original virus. So, mm. you know, I really wouldn't treat the lung thing as a you know clear sign of reduced severity yet. Yeah. Um, you know, it, certainly the Delta pattern suggests that it's going to be way more complicated than that. Severity isn't going to be a matter of how well the virus fares against a group of lung cells in a dish. It's going to be, depend on how well it, you know, how well it fares against the actual immune systems of actual people. And, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see the results of that conflict play out a lot over the next few weeks. There's one other thing I don't entirely understand, which is why it appears that cases are already showing signs of peaking, say in South Africa. They're mm -hmm. watching London closely right now. Yeah, I also don't understand that fully. Um, I do think that one thing we can say from past um, you know, past uh, surges, past bouts with this virus, um, is that people's behavior matters immensely. Um, you know, past surges of the coronavirus also peaked. Um, and, you know, often I think people were very quick to ascribe, like, biological reasons for that. I, I think it's, you know, every time this happens, someone says, oh, we must have hit herd immunity and that's why this is happening. I, th I think that's unlikely. It's usually because um, what happens is a bunch of people start getting sick and everyone around them um, goes, uh-oh, and starts behaving more cautiously. We see that pattern mm. again and again and again. People are very, very clued in to what's going on in their local communities. You know, we saw that at the very start, like people, like at, at the very first surge, people closed down and shut down their own behaviors way before any stay at home orders came in. Um, and, you know, we've seen this pattern again and again. Um, in, in the UK earlier this year, the first Delta surge, um, you know, people, uh, it, there was a mysterious downturn at the point when um, when all restrictions were actually lifted. And, you know, everyone said, well, why, why is that? In part, it's because a lot of people were in, like, before that point, a lot of people were in public spaces watching um, the Euro Cup. And after that, those spaces were much emptier. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of what a lot of the trends we see in the virus is much more about what its hosts are doing than what the virus itself is doing.
Interesting. What you're saying almost harkens back to a point you made about canceling your birthday party, which is that, you know, small actions can actually have exponential effect. And maybe, right. as you say, what we're observing here is is really people's reactions and then those people's reactions adding up. Um, yeah. And, and I think um, I would expect to see actually more of that just because of how fast Omicron is spreading. Like, you know, it's a lot of people have commented that very suddenly the number of people they know with COVID has just skyrocketed. Yes. And I think that can't help but change um, people's behavior. Um, you know, I, I said this in the piece, I, I think the the dark side of a, of a highly infectious virus is that one small bad decision can lead to exponential harm. But the flip side of that is that one small wise decision can lead to exponential good. And we shouldn't discount the fact that we still have agency. I don't personally don't think it should be down to us. I think policymakers should put in policies that protect the health of entire populations. But in some ways, it is still down to us. And I don't think we should discount the sheer power of making what at the face of it are small decisions. Again, you know, like cancelling a birthday party is nothing heroic, except, you know, in the context of a rapidly spreading variant, um, it and all decisions like it kind of are, you know, they can be, they are the types of things that make a huge difference. And the big thing that we need to you know, the thing we need to reconcile is that we will never see the benefit of that decision. You know, if I held a birthday party, I would probably know who got infected because of it. If I cancel, I will never know who doesn't get infected because of that choice. I just have to sit here with the knowledge that I think I made the right decision and that will have to be good enough. Let me go to caller Judith in San Francisco. Hi, Judith. Hi, thank you very much. Um, so I'm planning a, a, an event on January 2nd, and it will include maybe eight or 10 people. And um, I have, everyone will be vaccinated and have boosted. But what about if, I, if they all have been tested and I actually have kits that I'm ready to send to them if they don't have their own? Is that, is that still too chancy for me hmm. to ahead with or should I postpone it? Judith, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you're also bringing up testing protocols. Ed Young. Yeah, um, Judith, I feel for you. It's a tough decision, especially given that, you know, you'll be a week after Christmas. Presumably a lot of people will have already been to their families and, be, and you know, have had a lot of exposure through that. Um, I think that um, rapid tests certainly have a lot of potential in helping us gather with our loved ones in a safer way. Um, you know, I we considered um, asking all of our party guests to um, test themselves before coming. That was certainly something we did on Thanksgiving and it seemed to have worked well. I, I'm a little... I still worry a little bit. Um, and I think I worry because there have been some... Um, anecdotal cases of people throwing events where everyone was boosted, uh, well, everyone was vaccinated, it seems most people were boosted, and everyone took rapid tests, got negative results, and still infected each other at the party. 
what I would say is that um, the incubation period for Omicron, that's the time between infection and symptoms, there's some signs that that is lower, um, shorter than for the previous variants. So in Oslo, for example, a group of people went to a party, all of them uh, tested negative one to three days beforehand, and yet the party was at the site of a big super spreader event. I would say that if you do the testing approach, you should get people to test pretty much immediately before meeting up, like on and on the day at the very least, um, as close to you know the the time of meeting as possible. Um, but yeah, I think that I think if you do that, you're in a much better position than if you didn't use the tests. If you're boosted and all that, it's, you're in a better position. I can't tell you that your risks are negligible. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how old you all are. I don't know if anyone is immunocompromised. All of these things factor into that calculus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I also worry that, you know, I'm, I can tell you what I think now, but I, I think we're going to be in a different place in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and, a a more worrying place i'm really sorry that we all still have to make these decisions now um if you're tired of them and if you feel you know like you just don't want to have to think about this anymore yeah i sympathize um i really do well judith thank you for the question and i could tell how thoughtful you are being about this Speaking of tests, one of the things that President Biden is supposed to talk about in his speech is that some 500 million tests will be, rapid tests will be available to be sent to homes beginning in January. Can you talk a little bit about how effective you think this is as a strategy to try to contain you know, I think it can help. Um, as I've said, I, I have you know some concerns about some of the signs we're seeing about um, people trying to use testing as a strategy and failing. I, I don't know whether that means that it won't work. I hope that it. I hope that's not the case. But you know, even like that uncertainty aside, based on everything we know now, I do think that rapid tests play a really important role um, in helping us manage the risk of this highly transmissible variant. Um, if Biden is finally making moves to deploy these tests widely, to send them to people's homes and to make them free at point of de- like point of delivery, that would be a great thing. The fact that we might have to wait till January yes. is terrible. Right. You know, this this is already spreading so quickly and we're heading into Christmas. I honestly cannot believe that we've waited this long to take action, especially since people were calling for this sort of thing to happen, you know, in the middle of last year. And, you know, Biden knows this. His advisors have counseled him on it. Um, You know, this this sort of thing was part of the plan that he outlined before coming into the White House. This should already be this 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 should already be in place. And um, uh, instead, Most recently, he said that the plan was to make these tests reimbursable through private health insurance. Right. And that's just, uh, it's so grossly insufficient to the scale of the challenge we have. And it makes the same mistake 
that the last administration made, which is to not prioritize the most vulnerable groups. Um, you know, and uh, the the most common rapid tests from Abbott are 25 bucks for a pair of them. Um, are you really going to shell out for that if you're uh, on minimum wage? Like if that if those tests cost you three and a half hours of work, are you really going to buy those um, and use them, you know, let alone buy enough to use them again and again in the, in the ways that people are talking about? Um, you know, I, I think that if we are to make the tests part of our um, response to this variant, they have to be accessible to the most vulnerable people. Like low-wage workers have borne the disproportionate brunt of this pandemic. They were most likely to get infected, least likely to have healthcare access, least likely to be vaccinated and have access to vaccines. Do have the time to get a vaccine appointment, go to that appointment and maybe take sit, paid sick leave off, it, which they don't have, if they got um if they got side effects, like they have been screwed at every possible turn of this pandemic. And, you know, if the solution to that is, oh, we're just going to make the tests reimbursable, it just feels like we're going to recap all of the same inequities that we've experienced over the pandemic so far. So I would hope for better um, in today's speech. I am concerned that even better is a little too, is too late, but... I'd rather it was in place in January than not at all. We're talking with Ed Yong about the Omicron variant, about changing your plans to maintain or contain the potential damage and illness. Um, and also we're talking about what the president will say today. We'll have more of that after the break with you, our listeners, who can join the conversation at 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or reach us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. We're talking with Atlantic science writer Ed Yong about the latest Omicron developments and previewing President Biden's address to the nation. With you, our listeners, 866-733-6786 is the number. And let me go to Henry in Santa Rosa. Hi, Henry. Hi there. Um, I have not heard anyone talk about my question, which is, can you catch more than one of the variants either simultaneously or, you know, one after the other or, you know, months later? Mm-hmm. Good question, Henry. Ed Young. That's a very good question. Um, so, 
it seems that, uh, so if you've caught Delta or previous variants before, you have some degree of immunity, it does seem that Omicron can get around that immunity just as it can um, immunity provided by vaccines. Uh, you know, again, it's not total, um, it's, but, um, but, the, uh, but the new variant does seem to erode some of the protections that we've already acquired, whether that's through previous infection or through vaccination. The, again, you know, this is a very rough way of thinking about it, but I think of Omicron as nullifying one previous immunizing event, whether that's an infection or a vaccine dose. So you had three, if you have three doses, you're sort of back down to two. If you have two, you're about the equivalent of one. If you had just one run-in with the virus before um, and, um, and no vaccinations at all, you're basically unprotected as far as, as, far as getting infected goes. Um, the, the possibility that I'm not sure about and that worries me a little is whether Omicron infection protects you from Delta infection. As we know that Delta infection is imperfect, provides imperfect immunity against Omicron. If the reverse is true, it's possible that both variants could co-circulate around the world rather than one completely displacing the other. Um, I, you know, complicated futures are possible here, and we don't know enough really to predict what those might be. I also feel like this, you know, this to me is in the um, category of question that we don't actually need to have answers to to know what to do right now. Um, as my colleague Sarah Zhang wrote um, in The Atlantic a few days ago, we actually already know enough about Omicron to know that it's going to be trouble. Um, and, you know, our our decisions about how to act and all of that. Um, I think we know enough to know, like, how seriously to take the situation. Yes, and we are hearing some public health officials talking about how much they wish, in Biden's remarks, that he would lean on some of the mitigation measures like masking, social gathering, limiting social gathering, and so on. Uh, the likelihood of that is is definitely a question mark. In the meantime, we are hearing from a couple of listeners who are sharing how they have or have not changed their plans. Jennifer writes, we have a teenager with a birthday tomorrow. We'd hope to have a birthday dinner out somewhere with a few extended family members. We'd hope to eat outside, but it's going to be cold and rainy. Last night, we called him in to talk to him about the strong possibility that we'd need to cancel as there are grandparents in our group and he is not yet old enough to get boosted. Valerie writes, no, I have not made any changes to my holiday plans because I made none. We weren't out of the woods before Omicron came along. I have not stopped wearing a mask for over a year. I have very limited in-home social gatherings with fully vaccinated and boosted people. You know, one of the things that Biden is also expected to say is that he's going to deploy, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand or so folks to hospitals that are really facing um, facing being overrun uh, if they are not already and I wanted to ask you about that and whether or not you think that that will be effective in terms of trying to help our very strained medical centers. And I believe this will not happen until January and February. So, yeah, again, there's the question of timing, right? Like yeah. we're doing everything too late, um, way too late. Um, and I would expect... Um, 
you know, the, the wave is already rising. And and here's the thing, um, as I think it was Valerie who, uh, who yes. listened in, sorry if I've got your name wrong, um, the, the, Valerie's completely right in that even before Omicron, we were already in a Delta surge, right? We, we already were experiencing rising cases, rising hospitalizations. So the, the fact that we're sort of waiting now to do this is, again, a bit like, too little, too late. Like we, we knew that the winter was going to be bad. Now you're deploying military personnel to hospitals. Well, it, it, I'm not sure it, could, it will be ineffective, right? Like they need all the help they can get. But, you know, that per- those personnel are not going to stay there forever. They're going to leave. And then at the end of that, we're still going to be stuck with the greatly diminished healthcare system that we already have. Like the system isn't just empty beds. It's not just PPE. It's people, it's doctors, it's nurses, it's respiratory therapists, social workers, like laboratory technicians, it's all of them. And they're all, and like in, in all of its corners, we have allowed the healthcare workforce to be decimated. Like, not just in terms of people leaving, but sometimes in, in terms of like the most experienced people leaving. Like a lot of people who were close to retirement just took that um, took that opportunity, which means that the people who are left behind are not only overstretched and burned out, but a lot of them are younger than average. A lot of them don't have like you know the ten years of knowledge that allows them to know how to save that one person in a weird situation that they've never encountered before. Um, that's that's where we're at. That's where I. That's why I'm worried about healthcare full stop, not just for COVID, and you know that sort of thing. That doesn't go away by adding this kind of military sticking plaster on top of it. Like you, maybe you could not. You could stop it from getting even worse. But you know, if that's the solution, it's again an inadequate solution. Like the the medical system needs to be rebuilt because it has taken such a heavy hit and it needs to be protected from further like diminishment what do you think would be the immediate thing to do right now that could be most effective um i think from the healthcare workers i've spoken to Probably the most important thing is like some kind of like retention focused policies on the behalf on behalf of their hospitals. Like so many of them have talked about how they are being, um, you know, like a lot of them feel abandoned by their institutions. They've they're working in the hardest conditions of their careers. They've not been given enough um, time off. They've been denied benefits. They've been denied raises. Um, you know, a lot of them have been, and you know, to be clear, it's it, th- this is sort of a self-defeating thing. I know that hospitals are struggling in general, but like a lot of them are having to let go of their staff and then hire like travel nurses, for example, at much higher rates to take back to take the place of the staff that they lost. Um, and that kind of financial short-termism is hurting us in the long run. You know, I, I think like hospitals in general need to prioritize the retention of the few staff that they have left. And, um, you know, at a, po- at a broader policy level, that needs to be a thing we focus on. And, and I think, you know, just more generally, like it's not just about like the hospitals. It's also about 
slowing down transmission of yes. this virus. Through Do we need lockdowns we again, can. Ed? Do we need lockdowns oh, again? Do we need to close the schools or not allow them to reopen back to full in-person teaching? Adam writes, is it wise for companies to bring back workers in January, as so many have announced, including my own? Yeah, um, I think that um, no one wants to think about lockdowns. Um, and the word itself, I think, speaks to a much like harsher measure than is actually necessary. Like the point about um, uh, workers bringing, like, um, sorry, workplaces bringing their best staff, that's more of a thing that we can think about. You know, you can, you can put in policies that protect, um, that make demands of workplaces to protect their workers. Um, you can put in policies like paid sick leave that allow people to who are um, experiencing symptoms to protect their livelihoods and their lives at the same time. Um, and honestly, like we are at the stage where we need to be thinking about restricting gatherings. You know, it's like when we say lockdowns, everyone imagines like being corralled in their own homes for weeks on end, right. which... Um, I, at this stage, like, it would slow transmission, but the problem is, like, you need to use that time wisely, right? You can't just expect people to do that, do nothing with the time, release everyone back in the world and to kickstart another surge again, which is what would happen. So what would you do in that time? Well, you need to safeguard the healthcare system. You need to put in public health measures. You need to, you know, use the time to build up supplies of um rapid tests um you know you, you need to do all the things that we actually need to do anyway so why don't we just do those things um you know we we have spent the last a year sort of pretending that vaccines alone could get us out of this so the, mm. the biden's administration's strategy has been mostly focused on vaccines some would argue entirely so maybe a little unfair but like certainly it's been this kind of biomedicine or nothing approach like it's been vaccines and then if it's not vaccines it's boosting um it, it, you know and, and then as well as vaccines it's boosting but that that's not going to cut it it wasn't going to cut it with delta it's definitely not going to cut it with omicron we really now is the time to finally realize that you can't just do this by like immunizing one person at a time. This is a public health crisis and one that entirely depends on the connectedness between different people and in protecting the most vulnerable among us. Unless we have like policies that go population wide, we're going to be stuck. My, pro my concern is that, um, you know, a lot of places have spent the last year um, obviating even the possibility of such measures. You know, we have legislation put in by primarily Republican lawmakers around the country that stops local level um, leaders and institutions from enacting things like mask mandates. Um, and that's going to be a problem. Like I wrote in September, that will be a massive problem come the next pandemic or come the next variant. And that's where we are. And I guess we'll see whether that's right or not. Well, Adam's comment about going back to work went on to say two years ago, they might not have been meaning companies wanting to bring back workers, but it seems pandemic fatigue and perception are overriding the science. Patty writes, my daughter has an appointment right after the new year for a non-urgent issue. It's my understanding that Omicron will peak mid-January. Should we be rescheduling non-essential appointments activities for the next few weeks and just avoid being indoors? Will peak mid-January and... and Timing that way? Hmm. What do you think, Ed? I, 
I, I don't know. I can't yeah. tell you when no Omicron is going it. to peak. And I, I don't have confidence in that in those predictions at the moment. I think a lot of those models have been uh, questionable throughout the pandemic. And, and like I said, um, so our, our behavior, like the choices we all collectively make over the next weeks are going to be the massive factor in deciding when that peak actually happens. And I think we have been very, like, the, the academic community and the nation at large have been very bad at predicting um, people's behavior and how it will affect the course of the pandemic. So I, I'm sorry I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to um, to make those kinds of calls right now, um, you know. And of course, like the question of whether you should go in for a non-urgent procedure also depends on the state our hospitals are in by that point. You know, will you actually be able to get an appointment? Will the decision be taken out of your hands and the appointment be deferred for you? Um, I don't know the answer to these things, and I'm sorry I don't. We're talking with Atlantic science writer Ed Young, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Ariel in Oakland. Hi, Ariel. Thanks for waiting. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to um, say we all owe you a debt of gratitude, both yourself, Nina, and Ed, um, for your just phenomenal reporting on this on Forum over the past couple of years. I first heard Ed on Forum um, over a year ago, and he's the only um, author whose publications I checked to see if he's written something new. Um, it's just been invaluable, and I think you're doing um, a real public service uh, by sharing this information, making it so accessible, making it easy to understand, um, and it's just been phenomenal. I, I really want to um, issue a heartfelt thank you to both of you. Oh, wow, Ariel. Um, thank you so much. Um, that that means a lot. You know, it's, it's um, like I said, I'm sorry to everyone listening that we're still in this Um it's really hard. Like I, I find it hard to still be thinking about this, um, but I'm glad that doing so is helpful to other people. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember reading in your piece about how you were saying in the same sentence that canceling a party is not a big deal, but it would have done wonders for your fraying mental health. And <laughs> I think that really is important. And I did wonder whether just being able to think about that from a year ago, because you tweeted a year ago, you were hoping that you could have your 40th birthday party in person, that that was one thing that was getting you through all of this. I, I guess, you know, not, not like the party in per se, but, um, you know, the chance for more connection and less or more normalcy, sure. Like I, I um, and to be clear, I think the last year has given me and us some of that. Um, you know, I like I have been able to have like small indoor dinners with friends um, at my house, which is not something that, you know, I that. I think I felt was even was possible at all, save like another like a very tiny pod of people this time last year. So there are things that are better. You know, I I don't think that we're back to March 2020 again. Certainly not immunologically. Um, you know, I've said to my colleagues earlier today that the problem with the pandemic is that our immune systems are clinging on to their memories for dear life and doing their part but our nervous system seemed to be <laughs> unable to forget even last month's lessons um and uh, uh and and just forget things instantly um but look we're not we're not back to square one this is a, a setback it's a major setback i think it, it's 
I'm really worried about what the next month will hold. Um, but there are ways in which we're in a better place. I think the thing that I want us to not forget, and it sort of speaks to your question and, and Ariel's comment, like for the people who've been dealing with this, um, you know, whether it's reporting on it, whether it's healthcare workers, whether it's um, public health experts, like those people have been staring in, into the sun for two years um, nonstop and all of that adds up. Um, you know, it's much less here we are again than, oh God, we're still here. Um, and, you know, as we, as we head into start of year three of this um i do worry about a collective resilience like i know mine is worn extremely thin um yeah yeah and it does feel like we are stuck in a cycle uh with these surges returning and i i do cling to any reason to believe that we can get out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, and look, I, I will, I'll say a few things there. I, I, I do think that we cannot afford the nihilism of despair. I wrote that in my piece. You know, we, we, we still do have agency. I stress again that um, a small, wise decision can make, um, can do exponential good, and those decisions are still are still ours to make. So we still have power, despite. Um, everything that's happening around us, despite the chaos and the uncertainty of it all, um, we can still choose to help each other, and we should do. Um, it's not too late for the government to take the actions that would help to protect all of us. Yep. I hope to hear about such actions imminently. Well, me too, Ed, and I just want to thank you so much for talking with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them. 
with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.